Um, it's good to be with you. My name's Duncan. I'm one of the leaders here. Uh, let me pray as we come to this passage. Loving Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that you uh, love to speak to us as your children, and I pray now that you would speak, that you would breathe life into us, that we would know through your Spirit's work within us that we have been a lot made alive with Christ because of your work for us. In your name I pray. Amen. June 1990 was a wonderful year, a wonderful month. I wonder whether you felt that. Ireland got to the quarterfinals of the World Cup, but probably and most likely more important than that, I was born in June 1990. I'm sure you're very glad and thankful for that moment. Most of you probably don't know this, but the name that I was given is important to me. I value the name I have. It has significance for me because the reason it does is I am named after my great-grandpa. His name was Duncan McGee, and in my eyes, he was a wonderful man. I loved him. I cared for him. He was a wonderful guy. We had a special relationship, and part of that, I think, was because we shared this name. We were both Duncans. He was a caring man. He loved to make me, my brother and my sister, laugh. He was a bit of a joker. And there was a lot of ways in which I feel like there were similarities between us. I felt there was connections between who we were as people. He loved people. But even with these similarities, even with the sharing of the name, even with our characteristics that we share, right now as I stand here, there's a significant significant difference between me and my great-grandpa. My great-grandpa died at the age of 97. He had a long life. And the fact is, that makes all the difference. I'm alive and he is dead. And I'm not saying that to depress you or to dampen your mood. But what I want to do is draw out the reality of that. I am alive, he is dead. We all know and we can understand that life actually changes everything. Because people who are dead cannot do anything. They can't affect change of any kind. They cannot choose to live. They're dead. And in this passage, Paul is seeking to draw the believers to that reality. That they have life. They are spiritually alive. They are no longer dead. And that should change everything for them. All who have faith in Jesus Christ. That should change us dramatically. The language being used is, is one of intent to show how drastic what has happened in our lives. The contrast between the two. Think about death and life. They are complete opposites. And yet, as Christians, if you are here today, we are told we have life. I wonder how alive you feel as you cling to your cup of coffee <laughs> to get your caffeine fixed this, this afternoon. Because if you are here today and if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are alive. You have life, eternal life. 
And that should change your life on this earth. How you live, how you think, how you act. It is not just part of your life, it is your life itself. Everything should be impacted by that. You are not dead. You know life. So as someone who is alive, Paul is encouraging us to live as people. People who know our identity, know our battle, and our purpose. And that they should be up on the screen so that you, if you want to be orientated, can see that. So our identity. Look at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Paul has throughout this letter been pressing, has been pointing and expressing the reality of this church's need, our need for Christ. Encouraging these brothers and sisters, in everything, Christ is enough. Amongst all the false teaching that is going on, Christ is enough. And what is key is their union to Christ. You see, their faith, our faith in Christ, unites us to Him. Completely. As Christ died, we died. As Christ rose, we rose. And now that we are risen... We live. And how should we live? Paul doesn't want them to wonder what it means to be someone who is alive. In this passage, he is seeking to expose, this is what it's going to look like if you are going to live as those who are alive. This clear view of life, true lasting life. And he begins by focusing on their minds. What they do with their minds. That alive people have their minds fully focused on the eternal reality of their own life. The call to seek the things that are above. Because that is not just a nice idea, but it is rooted toward a call in Christ. Because that is where Christ is. He is above. This is the way in which Christ Christians should live, longing after Him, seeking Him, seeing that He is the one we need. Christ, who is in this position of honor and authority at the right hand of the Father, this is how our minds should be shaped, drawing towards Him as we live now, having our minds focused on eternal realities. We need to fight not to be distracted by the things around us. Allow Christ to be what captures your mind, your heart. And you might ask, but why? Thankfully, Paul answers that question. So good question. Why is Paul longing for our minds, the minds of these believers, to be focused not on earthly things but eternal realities? Why is this important for us to know as we seek to live here and now? Look at verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also, you will appear with him in glory. Because this is where your life is. This is how you know what true life is. It is found in knowing, meditating upon Christ. 
In Him we have found life. In Him we have found the reality of us being eternal beings. In Him is the only way we are going to be able to live the life today we've been made to live. Because outside of Him, outside of Christ, there is no life, there is only death. My life is in Christ in God. The fact that the Bible, the fact that God himself through his word and Paul declares Christ is the source of life. Nothing else can give us life. Why would you set your minds on earthly things? Why would you go after them where only death is found? Why would you long to know and have your mind fully fixed on that? Have your mind fully fixed on the giver of life, the giver of your life. As Paul writes, he wants them to grasp, where else would you go? Why would you go anywhere else? Because Christ is their life. In him is life. Dwell upon that. Because if you do, if you realize, if you allow your minds to be set in that reality, you find such security and confidence. There is no greater security than this reality. Because if this is where we look, we will know security. Because looking elsewhere, there will not be the life and the security you long for. God is reminding us as those who are alive, know the source of your life. We need to see the security we have not in ourselves, not in the things around us, not in other people, but in Christ. Without this, we just seek it elsewhere. And we never truly find it. We never can find security outside of this. This week I, I read an article and it's an article dealing with this idea of security. How do we find security? And the article said this, it is human nature to need and desire security. We just have been looking for it in all the wrong places. A sense of security can either come from material goods or from supportive relationships. The article goes on to say, the security found in possessions is fragile and fleeting at best. The research, and probably our own hearts, argue against this thinking. They call us to remember the importance of things that cannot be seen with the naked eye or purchased with money. Love, friendship, hope, integrity, trust, compassion. These are things that bring substance fulfillment, and lasting joy to our lives. These are the attributes that bring lasting security. This isn't a Christian article. And though there is truth within this, there is also a false hope. Resting on these attributes, that if you live this way, you will find lasting security. Even though they dismiss the idea of material possessions giving you security, I would dismiss the idea of these attributes giving you the security you long for. It's empty, even if you want to be good-intentioned, because it relies on you. 
And the reality is we all long for security. But when we don't center our security on Christ, everything we put our hope in will fail us. It is so fragile, it is so momentary, even when we trust ourselves with our security. Yet God is reminding us, encouraging us, those who have life, your eternal life is in Christ, which is in God. Who is going to mess with that? Who can even attempt to destroy the life that has been given? What situation can take that life away from you? Because the reality is, God stands in the way. God stands, the one who sustains all, the one who enables everything. And Paul wants us to see how secure we are. Christ and God, we are rooted in them. What a comfort, what a reality that life, our life is protected. Not by our working, not by our striving, not by our efforts. It isn't about you finding your security in momentary realities. The creator of the universe stands over his children, declaring to any who might come, they are mine. Just try it. What are you going to do? Who is going to stand against him? No one can stand against him. And he's saying, you are hidden in Christ, in God. Do you realize who you are? Do you see how secure you are? No one can touch the life that has been bought for you as you trust and cling to Jesus Christ. There is no contest. Today you've come here to City and you maybe are wrestling with your security, struggling in the truth of who you are and the life Christ has given you. You may feel weak, feel completely wrestling with this idea. Be assured, in the life you have been given, hear these words, God has hidden your life in Christ, in God. There is no safer place for you. There is no better place for you. Do not allow the shadow to cover your view of this reality. The worst thing that this world can do to us as believers, as Christians, is kill us. But brother, sister, even death is unable to take that life from you, that eternal life. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? To die is to finish the race to experience the life we experience in part now. That glory awaits. Brother, sister, there is nothing we have to fear. As we cling to Christ, know that He holds us secure. As you and I cling and hold, He has us. It is not in the security of what we think will help us. It is in Him, knowing also that the outcome is sure. We're not just hoping in the security that He gives and the protection He gives, but we know what is coming. 
So many religions operate unlike this. I would argue pretty much every world belief of any kind operates like this in your efforts. Islam, Hinduism, Catholicism, Jehovah Witness, Mormons, the list goes on. The way is through your work, your efforts, your energy, your righteousness. And on that last day, you're just hoping you've done enough. You're hoping, oh, I hope my good outweighed my bad. That is your hope. But the reality is that is not the gospel. That is not the Christian faith. The reality of security we have now is experienced and rooted in Christ with no doubt of what will happen. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You also will appear with him in glory. The danger is that we forget about the reality of his return. We, we dismiss it and we don't keep that central. And throughout the New Testament, time and time again, the writers compel us to remember that day. That day is coming. That day is drawing near when he will return. The time will happen. They constantly want this view of Christ's return to be forefronts of our minds. And it can seem distant as you sit here, as I stand here. We may believe it, but we don't keep it central. Paul is reminding them, Christ is coming, and when that time comes, when he comes in all his beauty, in all his glory, in all his authority, what will happen? You will be with him. You will be with him. Why? Because he is your life. That is where your life is found, your eternal life. It is secure for that day. Not because you did something, not because you're some good person, but because Christ is your life. Because He has kept you. He has protected you. So do not fear. Do not dismay. Let the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our life, shape how we live now. Allow your identity to be rooted and secure in Him. This is who we are. The more you allow the Spirit to assure you of this, the more you will know how you've been created to live. Because Paul is doing here is helping us to realize our identity so that as he continues on, we are able to act as God's people, people who know what it is to be alive, this is the foundation for us, our identity in Christ. This is the only way we can live as Christians, knowing your identity. Because knowing your identity leads to you being conformed in your actions, in your thoughts towards Him. It cannot work another way. Whatever you are basing your identity on will shape how you live. The more you find, the more you understand Christ, the more you will live in line with who you are in Him. Because it is His life that lives. It is Him who helps us. People who are truly alive know this. And we also know our battle. And this is what Paul impresses on these believers in light of their identity. Look at verse 
5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Therefore, as we hear these words, we need to see that word, therefore. Paul is saying, in light of your life in Christ, because of your security in Him, live this way. As a result of your identity, wage war against sin. Battle against it. You will understand the call away from sin because it is a call away from death. It is not just towards moralism. Knowing that you're right. It is towards life. People who put to death sin, not because that is their salvation, but because they know their salvation. Winning this battle is you not seeking to just strive and to resolve to fight your sin. Paul has been pointing to the fact that he is your life. So his life is in you, so you live from his life. You deal the death to sin because of his strength, not your own. Because of the Spirit's work. This is what enables us to put sin to death. That is what will give you the power to continue to live as those who are alive. Knowing what takes life, knowing the hope you have in the battle. Because we know that there is life at the end of this battle. The reality as you consider seeking to live this way is that it is slow. So don't miss that. I don't want you to hear that killing sin is just simple and quick and it's just done. Sadly, the death of sin is slow. Now, by God's grace, there can be moments where you have a particular sin in your life and, and God in His grace, in His mercy, in that moment, puts that sin to death. But more often than not, it is slow. Killing sin bit by bit. So please, don't be discouraged in your fight. Don't be discouraged when you see your sin before you, continue to know the reality of the life you've been given. Life in Christ, this life that is secure. Because I can promise you, the more you cling to Him, cling to Christ, look to Him, who is your life, the more by His grace, through His Spirit's work, you will see your sin being put to death. Bit by bit. Sin which we can never treat lightly. Because Paul doesn't lessen the seriousness of sin. Look at verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. This is the reality of sin. It is bringing judgment, right judgment, because before a holy God, he, our rejection of Him cannot be accepted. But here, Paul is reminding us of the rescuing reality of Christ from this coming wrath. That we don't forget our rescue. Because this is a motive for us as we battle against sin. 
reminded of how beautiful, how wonderful it is that we are not going to have to face that wrath, that Christ did it for us. Don't become complacent though with sin or this judgment. Allow your heart to be motivated knowing what He has done for you, that He has saved you from that reality. Because this is what Paul states, verse 7, In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. It is not forgetting your salvation. It is not forgetting what has happened, that you have been saved from this. It is rejoicing in it. That way of life is no longer how we live. That is not what we do. We have been saved from it. And that motivates us to put to death sin. Knowing and reflecting upon the wrath we deserved is poured out on Christ for us. He took it. No longer seeking life from our sinful ways, but knowing the true giver of life. There is a shift here. A shift not primarily in behavior, but the source of life. Look again at verse 7. In these you two once walked when you were living in them. Living for them. Seeking life from them. That is the nature of sin. When you believe your sin is going to give you the life you need to know is in God. And Paul is reflecting on the reality of our transformation. That that is actually death. And now you know life. Life rooted and bound, united to Christ. That even when you feel broken, even when you feel despair in your sin, that transformation has happened. You have been brought into life. And our faith is no longer in sin to give us what we need and what we long for. Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our life. No longer is our orientation towards finding life in our sin. Christ has done the work in you to show you He is the life you have always longed for. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of this Creator, its Creator. There is a process going on for us as believers. None of us in this room are the finished article. I know that might come as a shock to you, but you're not. None of us are without sin. I know this might even despair you more, but even Mark is not without sin. I know. But all who are trusting in the life given by Christ are experiencing this renewing. Slowly and surely, bit by bit, as we see the old way of life being replaced by the new life, the true life in Christ. This happens as we grow in our knowledge of our Creator, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the life of the Christian, a journey toward Him, the Creator God we have been made for, the Creator God we have been made to know and experience and love and enjoy. 
And as we see this wrestle, as we consider this this wrestle between what we were and what we are going to be and what we are, I think there's a helpful reality for us. And John Newton wrote this some time ago, and I found this very helpful considering what we're thinking about. He was a captain of a slave ship back in the day before he came to faith. And he said these words, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by God's grace, I am what I am. The road of the Christian life is bumpy. We continue to trust in His grace in the life that he is given. Continue to know that you are not where you one day will be, but you are not what you once used to be. Continue to know your battle. As we know our battle, we grow in our new purpose. And this purpose is a purpose to belong and a purpose to worship. Belong. Look at verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Paul throughout this letter to the Colossians, as he writes to those in Colossae, he longs them, these brothers and sisters, towards Christ, but also toward one another. As we read and consider this sort of community, I would have to say you are a bit strange if you are not attracted to this. If you do not think, oh, that's something I would enjoy, a community that shows compassion, a community that has kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, showing love. None of us here would think, stop loving me. Stop being kind. Stop being humble. Stop serving me. If you think that, it's probably because you're envious. But the reality is, this is exactly what we long for. This gospel-shaped community. As people who are alive, this should ring out, and this way of life should be the way in which we long to live. It's easy to consider this, though. Compassion, kindness, and love, and, and all these good things. But it is far harder to live this way. To act as these people. The people God calls us to be. And once again, what Paul does is he draws us to who we are. God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved. It is out of that reality that we are chosen, holy, beloved. And as we are those people who know life, who know what it means to be alive, now we are this community where these characteristics are shown and displayed, 
where we experience them, where we grow in this gospel-shaped character. Because it is only the gospel that has the power to enable us to live like this, to belong like this. None of us have this character without the gospel. Helping us to grow into this chosen people of God. A community to find and grow in life together. Knowing this is what we've been created for. Allowing people to speak into our lives and speaking into others. Where we are challenged and encouraged in our character to grow in Christ. Because the unity in Christ toward one another is where life happens. This is how we can find and know and experience more of Christ. Because it is community shaped by Him. A community that displays Him. Where our identity is found in who we are because of Him. It can be easy for us in short periods of time to maybe put on some of these characteristics or at least display as if we are th this sort of person to play the game. We can walk through that door and be like, oh, hey, how are you? Great to see you. I love you guys. <laughs> but over time, more and more as we live life together, the more annoying we will find one another. <laughs> When <laughs> Amen. When buttons are pushed, it becomes harder. When that person just keeps on going on about the same things. When that individual just can't s help being right all the time. When that group are just a bit odd. It's hard to show this sort of character when we are being pushed. But this is a call toward compassion, kindness, meekness, humility, patience, forgiveness, love. Realizing and recognizing we need Christ to help us do that. Because in myself, I cannot do that and you cannot do that. To live how he longs us to live. Hearts transformed and shaped by Christ's character. Knowing instead of anger and wrath, we display compassion, humility, love. Instead of slander and obscene language, we show patience and kindness. This is the sort of thing, this is the sort of community shaped in the gospel that we should grow into. This is the sort of gospel-shaped community where we experience more of Him. As we walk with one another in our brokenness, in our failings, relying on Him, clinging to Him, His security, His life, His assurance, being made and conformed in His image and likeness, the fight is a fight of our hearts. And Paul understands this. Look what he says. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Our hearts need to be ruled by Christ, his peace. 
by those who know life, his life, being ruled not by our old self, but by our new self in him. Hearts captured by that. Understanding the life we experience living this way. Captured by the life giver. Shaping the relationships towards those around us. I feel like this idea of community is a drum that I've been banging for a few weeks. Because the passages have gone there. But this idea to belong is a desire from God for us as his people. Longing for us to know, guys, this is life. This is what will help you to grow and know me more deeply. And as we grow as this community, we are going to experience and display true worship. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There is a clear orientation in worship. That the word of Christ is central. When we downplay, when we mistreat the word of Christ, we are not fully experiencing worship in how we have been made to experience it, to know it. Worship flows from the word of Christ. The word that should be central in all Christian churches. Any church that is not centering everything upon Christ's word is at risk of becoming something entirely different. All that we do flow from the truth of the gospel, the truth of his gospel. As we seek to worship together, it's only possible when Christ's word is central. We do not come here and just sing songs with no real substance. We want our songs to be songs that declare the truths of Christ's word. We don't just pray prayers and say just fancy words for the sake of it. We want our prayers to recognize him and his word. We don't want sermons just based upon human thoughts or ideas. We want them rooted in Christ's word. If myself or Mark or Ben or anyone else stands here and they are preaching, then they don't point to the truth of Scripture. You should just ignore it. Don't listen to us. (laughs) Because who cares about our opinions? My opinion has little weight to bear. The only thing that matters here is the truth of Christ, living and active word, that that is what is proclaimed as we worship. And as we consider how we worship, Paul widens our view of worship. Worship for us as Christians is not just this time here and now on a Sunday. We don't just come here together as a group and worship. When you hear the preaching of the word or sing the word together, the reality is for the Christian, we live a life of worship. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That is so encompassing. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. Word or deed, there is an orientation. 
You do it in his name. You do it representing him. You do it by his power within you, enabling you to live that sort of life, a life that is orientated around him. Your life is a life that is declaring him when you speak and when you act. And though we will have moments when we come together in worship, the reality is, as those who are alive, our entire life is an act of worship. We have been created as those who should worship and display Christ, the one who is worthy of all our worship. Faith in Christ changes you completely. Do not miss it. Do not neglect this. You are not dead. You are alive. God longs that we would know the reality of our life. Know that we have been given true lasting life and nothing can change or affect or impact that. He has done it and because He has done it, no one can take that away from us. Because we know where our identity, our battle, and our purpose is. As we seek to live here and now. I pray that we would grow more and more as his people, shaped by his life-giving Son. Through the Spirit's work within us. Enjoying all he has for us. Because as we live here and now, we wait. We wait for that day. Because there is a day coming when Christ, who is your life, will appear. Then you also will appear with him in glory. Let me pray. Loving Father, I thank you for the security that you give toward your people. I thank you for the reality that you have given us life and our life is secure in Christ that it has not been down to us and our efforts and our energies, but it is down to you and what you've done. I pray that you would just assure us in that, that you would give us confidence in that, and in light of our identity, rooted, firm, secure in Christ by his work for us, that we would live out of that reality, that that would impact all that we do, all that we say, and that our lives would be truly lives lived out, worshipping the one worthy of all our worship. In your name I pray. Amen.